Matalo Falaba, you've tuned into Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. Vanuatu government is yet to make uh, its positions on the AUKUS agreement. Pacific leaders are reassured that the AUKUS deal has no hidden agendas. Also. Some other players in the market would like actually to free up the foreign exchange markets. No crisis so far in PNG's economy, despite concerns raised by the business sector. And later on. That's not the sound of the AUKUS deal, but there's definitely a ready situation that locals in Outer Cook Islands want to wipe out. A number of Pacific leaders have shared their views on the AUKUS deal that will see Australia acquire a fleet of nuclear submarines. Some leaders are yet to form a view on the deal, while others have changed their minds. Rachel Nath has more. Pacific Islands Forum Chair Mr. Mark Brown has been assured by the United States that the AUKUS agreement will honour the Treaty of Rarotonga, after initially saying he felt it would go against it. The Treaty of Rarotonga formalises a nuclear weapon-free zone in South Pacific and was signed by several Pacific Island nations, including Australia and New Zealand, in 1985. In a media statement, Mr. Brown, who is also the Cook Islands Prime Minister, says he was reassured when he returned from the U.S. a fortnight ago. Prior to his visit to the U.S., Brown told newspaper Cook Islands News he was not happy how the arrangement led to tensions within the region. On a similar vein, New Zealand Foreign Minister Nanaya Mahuta says Aotearoa was given assurance from Australia that the agreement also does not go against the treaty. So far as the Treaty of Rarotonga, we sought undertakings from Australia that those arrangements abide by the Treaty of Rarotonga. They have given us an assurance that it does. The minister says New Zealand did not see itself as needing to be part of AUKUS. Palau, which is not a signatory to the Treaty of Rarotonga, has backed Australia in the submarine deal. Palau President Mr. Sirigal Whip says the world has changed since the 1980s. Part of peace and security is you have to have the capability of deterrent. And so we support what Australia has done because we believe that it's important that Australia is ready and is prepared to defend the Pacific. They're an important partner. Meanwhile, the Vanuatu government is yet to make its position on the AUKUS agreement. Vanuatu's Minister for Foreign Affairs says he is looking into whether the agreement is violating the South Pacific Nuclear Free Zone Treaty. Jotan Napat says the Australian High Commissioner to Vanuatu claims that Australia is not violating the agreement. The Vanuatu government is yet to make uh, its positions on the AUKUS agreement. Now, we feel that it's important because Vanuatu had signed a security agreement with the government of Australia and we would like to uh, incorporate that as part of the whole security agreement rather than a standalone treating the AUKUS agreement different from the security agreement that we had signed with the government of Australia. However, Vanuatu's climate change minister, Ralph Regan Vanu, has called on Australia to join another agreement called the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, in a tweet, Regan Vanu said the membership would ensure Australia's submarines in the AUKUS agreement would not carry nuclear weapons. 
The minister told RNZ Pacific he did not want to comment further on his tweet and that Australia's Minister for Defence will visit Vanuatu this week. The Treasurer in Papua New Guinea has praised the state of the economy despite concerns raised by the business sector. Ian Ling Stuckey says there is no balance of payments crisis and the country has record levels of foreign reserves. Recent issues with the supply of petroleum was blamed on the lack of access to foreign currency, while a major company, Lake Biscuit, shut its doors, making the same argument. At once written positive development, PNG has also recently signed for a major loan from the International Monetary Fund. To discuss these issues, Don Wiseman spoke with the executive director of PNG's Institute of National Affairs, Paul Barker. We have an ironic situation where we are a major exporter. Our exports far exceed our imports. Very positive current account balance. And yet we don't seem to have the foreign exchange readily available. We get this story that there's 11 months of foreign exchange reserves and yet it's not available. And uh, and we have different explanations for that. The central bank and the treasurer says it is available and yet it's not being released in the timely manner that the uh, importers need. So it's a, a little bit of a hard one to, to explain, but the central bank has increased since about October last year, significantly increased the amount that's been made available for um, importers. But a, a major factor is the high oil price, and oil imports are taking up quite a large portion of that of the foreign exchange that is available. It's ironic that we're a major LNG and gas, and to some extent oil exporter as well, a small oil exporter, but a large gas exporter. But those funds go into um, offshore accounts that aren't readily accessible. So much of the money that is in the foreign exchange reserves is actually money that has come in from the lenders, from the World Bank, IMF, and, and so on, and is rather um, tied down, including for foreign debt servicing by the government. And the central bank has been eager not to let the currency uh, decline. So they've been sort of shoring up those funds to some extent. Some people think that they're shoring them up as a sort of, it's almost a symbol to keep high foreign exchange. And I think there's been a frustration with the treasurer. So you've had that slightly different position being presented by the treasurer and by uh, the central bank over the last period of time. It's quite dramatic though, isn't it? Because we've got businesses like, for instance, Lay Biscuit saying they just can't operate in this environment because of the foreign exchange problem and whatever. And as it stands, they're not operating. They employ thousands of people. So what what is the government doing to, to solve this problem? We had the problem as well with the fuel companies themselves. They couldn't get enough fuel in. Yeah, the impacts uh, spread right across the country, affecting every man, woman and child. Well, they are, but we should also recognize there are actually differences between companies. So we understand that Paradise Biscuits and that the other big biscuit company is producing at sort of full capacity at the moment. So there may be issues sometimes between companies. I know that with the fuel importer, there are some issues where the central bank has been concerned that the the company may or not have been following all requirements um, and due process and that they may have been making a load of their transactions offshore. So they've been a little bit reticent to 
to release the funds to them in full. But certainly other companies have complained that the, the oil importing company is taking the bulk of the foreign exchange that is made available. So what they were doing last year was they were releasing something like 30 million US a month, and it went up to, I think, about 50. And then it went up in about October, November to about 100 million. So the amounts that have been released have increased, but with the higher oil prices and associated needs, that money has been disappearing fast. And hence, to some extent, the treasurer, but certainly some other players in the market would like actually to free up the foreign exchange markets, go back to more of a free market arrangement. The central banks worried that that causes the Kina potentially to, to slip and they don't want to trigger inflationary effects if the Kina did slip. But nevertheless, many others, economists would argue, look, let it find its own level. And that would reduce the level of speculation and would it actually discourage companies from holding funds offshore unnecessarily long? Because that's one of the big concerns. Is, as I say, we've got to be current account surplus. And yet, because companies think that maybe sometime in the future, the Kina would slip because they think that, uh, well, they've heard from various sources, the Kina may be overvalued by 10, 20. In the past, they were saying 30%, but maybe now less. But that if they brought it into the country, then it would lose its value. So they've been holding funds offshore, making transactions maybe off offshore in some cases, but avoiding bringing the money in that is needed. But, you know, as I say, there has been this different position. And now the government secured a major loan, three and a half billion Kina from the IMF, and it comes with some conditions. And those conditions, probably it's not going to be a firm condition, but it would certainly be to encourage the move back to a free exchange rate and also to, to make a number of other measures that relate to fiscal management and, and monetary management. But bringing in the funds from the IMF will certainly also make available foreign exchange in the, in the shorter term as well. Rats on a Smokok Islands atoll could be a thing of the past after a full-scale rat eradication program takes place in the middle of this year. The program is a collaboration between New Zealand's Department of Conservation, or DOC, and Cook Islands government and non-governmental organisations. Fina Fonoa has more. Around 40 people call Palmerston Island home. There's no airstrip, and being 400 kilometres away from Rarotonga, it's considered as one of the most isolated of the 15 islands that make up the Cook Islands. The eradication program came at the request of the Palmerston community. The island's executive officer, Arthur Neal, says rats are a menace to people's lives. Rats are problems on home island. They've been a nuisance. They damage our crops, coconuts, fruit trees and things. So, you know, you're always battling the rats. In 2018, the Palmerston Island Council commissioned a natural resources study that revealed there was very little bird life where rats were present. E.M. Osteen from DOC's National Eradication Team travelled to Palmerston for a three-week feasibility study. Mr. Osteen says he's optimistic all rats will be gone from the atoll by the end of the year, but it will be challenging. In the tropics, it's particularly hard to eradicate rats just because it's such a productive environment. So there have been cases where operations which have done everything right have still failed, but we're quite hopeful that all the issues we've identified, that we'll be managing them well. 
Mr. Neil says the preparation to wipe out the rats felt overwhelming at times. Clutter needs to be cleared, and rat bait needs to be used to lure in the rodents. He says it was also open season on the chickens that freely roamed the island to ensure they don't consume the baits. We didn't realize what a big undertaking it's going to be, and how far we have to move things. That's the challenge that we have now that we prepare ourselves. We do our part as community to ensure that we do everything possible for the project to be successful, that we can eradicate the rats. Kelvin Passfield, the technical director of local environmental NGO Te Ipokarea Society, says rats interfere with seabird populations, particularly birds that nest on the ground. The chances are that there would be a lot more seabirds nesting. On the motus, if they didn't have rats, the Palmerston Islanders actually rely on seabirds as a source of food from time to time. So it would increase their food supply if the rats weren't impacting the seabird populations. The absence of rats means the ecosystem on Palmerston Island will recover and flourish. The waste, the guano from the seabird droppings, it helps fertilize the reef and keep the reef healthy. In 2021, Te Ipokarea Society eliminated rats on the uninhabited island of Swaro. He hopes the rat eradication program will extend towards other islands in Kokiarani. These are the low-hanging fruit to some extent. Some of the other islands are going to be much more difficult. The Southern Group Islands, for example, are much bigger. They're not atolls. They're rugged Makatea Islands or high islands. A much more rugged interior, much more difficult to go in. So a much bigger job to get rid of rats on other islands. Mr. Ostom says he's confident in the outcome and future of the project. If this is successful, it really does potentially open up the door for scoping some of the islands with larger populations. So it's a real litmus test in terms of the social side of things and a formula for how it could work. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs, or you can download us on Spotify, iHeart, or Apple Podcasts. From myself and the team that made this episode the best one yet, so far, sweet four.